Hello, hello, hi. It's been a while, almost two weeks. I really just wanted to like reload that Telly Maddie episode. And I wanted everyone to listen because it was really good. It was great. It was excellent. But whatever. We're back. New episodes. Not a new year for me. I don't know who's been following me or who hasn't, but uh, my hashtag, not I'm not done with 21. And I'm running that. And we can do this. We can do this together. Not done with 21. I'm not starting 22 out shitty. I'm not doing it. I refuse. So I'm celebrating my new year on Friday. So this will come out Wednesday. So you got two more days. Not done with 21. Join the movement. Uh, Also, you know, I guess this is part of my hot take. New year doesn't change anything. Don't wait for a new year. Don't wait for some fucking stupid holiday to pretend like you're going to change. Change. Go to the gym. Go outside. Have fun. Not done with 21. Not done. Hashtag not done with 21. I'm so sorry about this movement, guys. I'm stubborn. And I just... I just get so upset that we care about these days. And maybe some people need that. And I need to learn to appreciate that. But you listening you don't need a day you don't need a false thing in the calendar to just change make change god (sighs) okay all right all right all right let's cheer let's get back let's get back here we go here we go here we go this seems like a perfect time to talk about one of my sponsors this week onyx backcountry Go to onyxmaps.com, use code OUTOFBOUNDS, and you get 20% off your order. Uh, We've talked about it. We love it. Onyx Backcountry, use the app, download the app. It's a guidebook in your pocket. It's really simple. It doesn't get any easier. It's actually like a cheat code. I don't know if you guys remember, but back when I used to play video games, you used to have to go to the store and buy the book. That would tell you all the secrets. This is literally Onyx Maps. This is literally Onyx Backcountry. It is a guidebook in your pocket from slope shading to saving maps offline so you can use them on your phone. It's a lifeline. It's genius. The guys behind it are genius. Guys and girls behind this are genius. It's great. Go to onyxmaps.com. Use code AUTOBOUNDS. Oh, and hello, surprise, we have another sponsor for this week, Burn Helmets. I'll tell you what, they fit. Yeah, the Burn Helmet that like, I don't know, I had a Burn 10 years ago and I was like, when they approached, I, I don't know. I don't. These things fit, they have MIPS, they're light, they look good, they feel good. That's really all we're looking for in helmets. They're safe, stylish, look good, feel good. It's a pillow for your head. You don't know you have it on. And I guess that's what we're looking for in a helmet. I don't want a big bulky helmet that makes me look like a, I don't know, a a big, I got a weird head. I can't be wearing weird helmets. So check out burnhelmets.com. Use code, let me check the promo code, out of 15. You'll save 15% off your order. That's out of 15 on burnhelmets.com. I have the Watts. 
I suggest checking out the Watts. Again, MIPS, lightweight, fits well, feels good. BirdHelmets.com. Okay, now that we got through the sponsors, we got through my rants, let's talk about some raves here. My guest, Megan, Megan McJames, three-time Olympian, folks. The fact that I even get to, I don't get to sit in the same room with Olympians because we do it over Zoom, but the fact that I even have the privilege of speaking to an athlete of this caliber blows my mind. So thank you, Megan, for having the conversation. But I think the asterisk on this this whole conversation is that Megan went to the Olympics three times as a skier, a GS skier, and only one of those times was she on the U.S. ski team. So there's a common misconception that you need that if you were in the Olympics that you were on the U.S. ski team. And Megan is way too nice to say it how I'm going to say it, but it sounds like the U.S. ski team was kind of like, you can't sit with us. But Megan qualified, and she went to two more Olympics while not on the U.S. ski team. It's a crazy story, and she has a whole film coming out to kind of tell her story and tell her legacy. So that is coming out in the fall, I believe. But there's a teaser that just dropped, so I'll put that in the link below. So watch the teaser, listen to this episode, and let me know what you think. All right. So hello, I'm Megan McJames. Uh, I'm a skier. Um, I've been a three-time Olympic skier and the first uh, athlete to ever go to the Olympics without being on the U.S. ski team. So what is that like without being on the U.S. ski? Because I assume if you're in the Olympics, you're on the ski team. Yes. So I think... It, that was an assumption um, for a long time. And so um, for me, I, I was cut from the US ski team in 2012. I competed for them for seven years. Um, and when I was cut, it was expected that that would be the end of my career. That was kind of the path of how things went at the time. Um, but for me, I felt like I hadn't achieved all the goals that I wanted to achieve in ski racing yet. So um, I didn't know how I was going to go to the Olympics, but um, we forged a path and made it there um, without any support and not when I say without any support it's support from the uh, ski team but there was a lot of you know support from other places that I found um, that I'm really grateful for so you did three Olympics correct yes one with the U.S. ski team yes and then two without yep I'm just trying to make sure like I'm (laughs) telling the story and having it make sense in my head as well what year was the first Olympics you went to? I'm sorry, I should know this, but no, the first the first Olympics I went to was in 2010 in Vancouver. So you go with the U.S. ski team. You're on the team. You have the uniform, and then uh, what changes? You get you get. I guess you go. You compete. You're good enough. You make it. Obviously, you have to qualify, and then you get an injury, and then you come back, or you get an injury and you get cut. So, so the first Olympics I went to was an amazing experience. Um, and, you know, looking back on it, I was like, oh, you know, I really admired some athletes who, you know, used all that pressure to their advantage. And 
for me, it kind of weighed heavily on my shoulders. And so I was determined, I was like, I'm going to go back. I'm going to live up to my potential and do better. Um, but then at the end of the 2012 season, um, my heel bone snapped in half in the apex of a GS turn. And it was a kind of a season ending injury, took a while to come back from. Um, and so then after that next season of coming back and um, we'll go, into all this in this film that uh, we can talk about too but um we I had a rough season of not great results and at the end of that 2012-13 season I was cut from the U.S. ski team um and yeah it was kind of a moment of you know I don't know how I'm going to keep going but I just feel this spark in the pit of my belly that I believe that I can you know keep going and I haven't you know, accomplished all my goals yet. So um, we didn't know how, but we kept going. <laughs> That's insane. Like what? <laughs> like it's, I mean, at that point it's, and I mean this in a good way, but it's just selfish and not <laughs> I, selfish comes with such a bad like feeling, but it's, it's selfish in the fact that you were like, I'm, you can tell me I'm done, but I'm not going to let myself be done. Yeah, and I think it was the hardest part about being like rebuilding this whole program that got me to the two Olympics without being on the uh, ski team. You know, there was fundraising and organizing travel and equipment and all these different things. But really, the hardest part that I had to learn was how to rebelieve in myself again after, you know, the highest beings of the skiing in the U.S. were telling me I wasn't good enough. And so that belief was really the thing I had to keep keep getting back to to have um any results in the course uh because it didn't work for me to be like you know skiing in spite or to try to prove something I just really had to get back to that belief in myself and that joy in the sport and that was kind of the fuel that kept me going through all these you know ups and downs and hard times so once you qualify for your second olympics doesn't that autumn I just I guess I just don't understand and I'm assuming people listening don't understand and for you, it's probably so normal because it's your life. But like, if you're in the Olympics, you're on the U.S. ski team. But but no, right? I guess I guess it's a misconception. So the U.S. ski team is you know the national governing body of skiing in the U.S. But at the Olympic Games, it switches over to Team USA, which is run by the Olympic Committee. So. What I found out in my whole journey is you can be named to Team USA by, but not be on the U.S. ski team. And you were and the first ever. The first female American, yeah, that we know of to ever have forged that path. <laughs> um, and at the time, there was a couple uh, men uh, racing independently, but um, I was the first woman and the first person I can think of that went to the Olympics. Um and for me, like I said, it was just really about, you know, skiing and getting back to the the sport that I love. That was really the the point as much as the Olympics. But the Olympics is the end all be all. I mean, that it's the Olympics. It's it's world championships happen every year, but this is the Olympics. It has to carry that something. And yes, you went with the US ski team one year. But to come back and do it the next year, even though you were do or not the next year, but the next Olympics, there's got to be some like, I don't want to say F you, but some spite in there. No, like nothing. I think it's 
So my first Olympic experience was really cool because it was my first time. And, you know, just the energy at the Olympics is different than any other ski race I ever went to, you know, um, just being there representing your country, the energy of it, everyone is all of a sudden paying attention to ski racing when they never do before. Um, but I would say the two Olympics that I went to without the US ski team, I don't know if I'd say they're better, but I felt really empowered by what I had been able to overcome to get there. And so it was, you know, just kind of a, you know, this is the climax of all these hard work and the goal achieved to, so to speak. I'm just like, I, I, I don't want to keep talking about it, but it's like, I'm baffled by it. Like, I don't understand how you can get cut. I understand how you get cut, but then once you're qualified for the Olympics, proving that you're arguably better than some people on that team, are, do they not offer you a slot? Do they not offer you support? So this was, that's a, it's a tough thing that I had to explain when I was going out and fundraising and trying to tell this story. And, you know, people are like, if you're ranked the second best in the country in giant slalom, why aren't you on the US ski team, you know? And so that year after 2014 Olympics in Sochi, I um, was ranked the second best GS skier in the country. And that's how I had qualified for the Olympics. And I thought that I would be renamed to the US ski team and was surprised when I wasn't and had to do the next four years um, without any support again. Um, and I think that during my six years as an independent skier, it was always kind of a struggle um, because the US ski team obviously wanted their athletes to take the limited number of spots. And um, for me coming in and taking one of those spots for myself, it was taking a spot away from one of their athletes. So um, they're focusing on younger athletes, trying to develop younger athletes. And so um, I just didn't fit into that mold, I guess. It's so, it's not shocking to hear because, but like, is it politics? Is it, I mean, there's got, I'm sure there's old guard and maybe I'm just speculating completely and maybe you don't have to answer this, but like, I'm assuming like old guard in the industry, they see someone they like, they think you're almost like a fad and you just had like a good year or a good run. But now it's like, oh no, I'm here to stay. Like this is over an eight year period that like. <laughs> I'm here. I'm going to take your spot. Tryouts are going to come, not tryouts, but qualifiers are going to come. Your, your pick is going to get cut and I'm going to get that slot. <laughs> yeah, it was probably really annoying. A thorn in their side. I don't know. Oh, I love it. Good for you. You're like so level-headed and mellow. And I'm like, I don't have that. I know I've done since we've talked last week, I've done like research on your story and I'm just like mad at everyone involved. And you're just like, no, I think it was just how it was. Well, yeah, it, I mean, there was definitely hard days where I was like, what is the point? Why do I keep struggling when, you know, they don't want me here? And it, like I said, the competing for spite never worked for me. When I tried that, I just wouldn't ski fast. And for me, the most fulfilling thing is making fast turns. And so um, I just had to get back to that belief in myself and that love for the sport. And that's what fueled me through those, you know, moments of like, what am I doing with my life? How mental is GS? Like, <laughs> it just seems, I don't know. Like, it had, there's so much risk and concentration involved in that sport that the physical seems important, 
but and you've mentioned it multiple times but headspace is like how do you find that headspace yeah i think so i think everyone at the world cup olympic level of ski racing is really good at skiing and so the separator is that mental aspect um and we you know train the physical and the ski specific skill but it comes down to you know you only have one minute you train for all these hours and hours but your run only lasts for a minute or so and so to be able to put down your best turns when it matters um that's the whole game and so it's um kind of the challenging part but also the fun part you know because everyone all the ladies out there as competing against are awesome skiers so it's just a matter of who can put down their best turns on when it matters how do you prepare for that (laughs) i think (laughs) part of it is doing it a lot i think you're um Ski racing for me for the 12 years that I raced World Cup was a lifestyle. It was all I thought about. Um, I would work, you know, work out all summer. We would travel um, to the Southern Hemisphere in the summer. And it was just, you know, all consuming. Um, And it was amazing journey. But I think you, I didn't realize how much stress I was under to perform all the time until I retired. And I was like, oh, this is a relief. You know, life isn't that doesn't have that pressure all the time, you know? Um, and you just kind of get used to it, I guess, when you're, you're kind of living on the wire like that all the time. So now when you're at this level, do you have, you still have ski sponsors, you have ski support, uh, I'm sure a boot sponsor, uh, pole sponsor gloves, like there's some type of industry support for you. Yes, I was very grateful to my sponsors, equipment sponsors who stuck with me when I was an independent skier. Um, But I also had to fundraise a lot to cover all of my travel. And I'm really grateful that I found some, I call them angels because they're donors and sponsors who stepped up to support me because they believed in this idea of going after your dreams in the face of adversity. And it not it was for me it was my stories about ski racing but it related to their business or their daughter who was going through some challenge and so I found a lot of a network of a lot of really great support even though you know I wasn't named to the U.S. ski team. What does fundraising look like for this? Like are you selling Girl Scout cookies outside of Home Depot or like what is this because it's not cheap like to not put exact numbers on it what does it cost to do a full not count let's not even count training let's just get to the events and race like what does a budget look like that look like for me the years that i was independent i had to raise 50 to 80 thousand dollars a year to compete and that was not hiring a full-time staff so i was kind of doing it on a smaller budget because i just that was as much as i could do and still train at the put in the time I needed to training. Um, So we would have a fundraiser every year. I would um, have some really great donors and sponsors applied for different grants. Um, And then I was, you know, super lucky. I would have, my husband is a retired World Cup skier and he would come over to Europe and support me when he could get off work. And my family would come to different stints and um, we would just piece it together. And yeah. It's like the, the highest form of being like a roadie, but like, <laughs> I'm not saying it's luxury. Cause like you're, you're working hard and you're training, but it's like this, like you're chasing your career and chasing your goals and you find a way and life finds a way. And it's 
fantastic. But like now you add a trainer and as you said, your husband's a former World Cup athlete. So like that probably helps a lot. But like, do you have a ski coach? Are you paying a ski coach? Are you just like you? I just picture like the ski team, the U.S. ski team, like setting up gates and then you setting them up like on the hill next to it. Like, <laughs> yeah. So one of the hardest things that I found is one of the challenges as an independent skier was to find training. Cause as a skier, you want to be training with other best skiers in the world to push yourself and see what's out there. And, um, so that quality and that level of training was really hard to find. Um, because like you're saying, the U S ski team would be at a venue and I wouldn't be allowed to train with them. And so we'd go ask the other countries and they'd be like, sure but why aren't you with the americans and it was just this awkward political thing when i was just like you know i want to ski so um that was one of the challenges we found um and then as far as coaching something we found that was super important to me i've talked about this a couple times but that belief in yourself at the start when you have that one moment to prove yourself so to have somebody in the start with me was huge um because just in that moment of stress to have somebody saying that you can do it and have someone in your corner. So um, whenever I could hire a coach, I would, or my husband or my parents or whoever could come to Europe with me at the time, it was really important to have them in the start with me just to have, have that positive supportive figure in my corner. And that really helped on race day. Is there any money in this? I feel like the gap is so, and like we don't have to talk actual numbers. And I said that before, like Michaela Schifrin is probably a millionaire. Yeah. You definitely raced against her. You yeah. said you were number two. Was she number one at the yep. time? Yep. So like, where's the, how is that gap so drastic? I think, you know, if you're, a couple things that are so important in the U.S. is because those medals kind of are associated with sponsorship dollars. And if you are one of those superstars or Olympic medalists, you can make money at ski racing. But really, for someone like me, you don't become a ski racer because you want to make a lot of money. For me, it was just a life passion. And I love the sport. And I love, you know, the pursuit of the goal was the journey in itself. And I think, you know, maybe not every sports story like mine needs to end in a medal. Um, but I'm proud of my story because, um, you know, I'm really proud of everything I was able to overcome to get where I did. I feel like your story is going to become like a movie. <laughs> it is a movie. We're working on it. Oh, uh, well, no, yeah. but like, uh, cause you're, we're, we're going to talk about that movie, but yeah. like a full on, I don't want to say Eddie the Eagle. Cause that's not the right like <laughs> comparison because I think he kind of, slipped his way into the Olympics and I feel like you earned your way into the Olympics, but like a full, like, who, okay, let's ask this. Who, if it was a, if it was a Hollywood film, who would play you? Oh my gosh. That's this is hard. a great question. I'm really proud of myself for this question, <laughs> but I think it could be an actual Hollywood film. Cause it's like, it's a total story of perseverance. Like you're an amazing athlete. You got injured, which happens. You came back, didn't have a great season, which happens like, that's normal. And then they cut you and then you not out of spite somehow, because you're in a better human than I come back and qualify and take some of these spots twice, not just once. Like you do this twice. And 
it can't be easy because while most of these people are people being your competitors are training and you know probably getting massages and like in nice hotels you're fundraising and like just trying to get a dollar so you can get to the next stop to prove to yourself that you're good enough like that's insane yeah. that should be a hollywood film so if there was a hollywood film hypothetically who would play you i'm thinking oh okay so maybe rachel mcadams okay She's all right She's one of my favorites that would be I'm we're gonna pitch it to her. I don't know how we're gonna maybe we should listen to it. Do you have her phone number? I do not. <laughs> but we're gonna try. We'll we'll send it to her agent. We'll find it. <laughs> no, but to your point, we are making a film out of this story because um when I retired after the Olympics in 2018, I felt, you know, I had gone through all these struggles and I I came out of the end feeling really proud of what I had accomplished and empowered by all these lessons I learned um, through along the way. And so I thought, you know, I want to tell this story, but maybe make it bigger than it's not just a ski story. It's a story about um, perseverance and passion. And I think anyone can relate to it, even if they're not a diehard skier. And we do have great footage of skiing in the film, but it's, you know, a story that I hope inspires people to search for their path forward, even if it's not always, always clear or easy. So let's talk about this film. It's a documentary, right? Is that what we're calling it? We're calling it a documentary. Yeah. How far back does the film go? How much can we talk about it? When does it come out? Who are you working with to make this film? So I partnered with KGB Productions uh, to tell this story, and we're still working on the distribution plan. It's supposed to come out fall of 2023, um, and we're hoping that, you know, with the Olympics coming up this winter, that we can kind of play off some of those Olympic themes. Um, right now, it's a 40-minute film, and it starts when I'm kind of goes through the whole story from when I'm a kid growing up at Alta Ski Area in Utah and falling in love with the sport to the struggles at the Olympics and everything it took to get there. I saw, I mean, you just put out a teaser for it. Yeah. You're in Alaska. How much more fun is skiing powder than GS? <laughs> well, I mean, I love both, but... Um, like I said, I grew up in Alta Ski area. And so every time that I was having a struggle with my racing, I would come back and just free ski. And so I've always had that place in my heart for deep powder. And since retiring in 2018, I've been learning more about the backcountry and kind of just the broader world of skiing. Um, cause I was so focused on racing for so long and, um, realizing there's so many other aspects of the sport I love. And so um, we went up to Alaska to do some filming for the movie um, because part of the movie is about, you know, just how much I, the passion that fueled me to be an independent skier is this love for skiing. And so we went up to ski and it was, I mean, we'll have to share a link to the edit, but it was just a trip of a lifetime. Is that where you find yourself? Like I just picture... And again, I'm not an athlete in any way. I like skiing, but like, I will never put a plug boot on in my life unless it's like a joke. So now you like put on like a comfy boot 
nice flexy like soft wood core skis is that just like now after you've done all that is that just like a breath of fresh air or is it like do you miss the plug boots the gs skis like does that or are you like can you look i guess are you at a point now where you can look back you retired in 2018 and being like you know you're at the top of a mountain in alaska you take a deep breath and you're like this is like my new home this is where i belong Yes, I think I loved my ski racing journey. It was, you know, 12 years. It was awesome, but I'm happily retired now. And when I'm standing up there, you know, I'm just at peace. And there are um, a lot of similarities to what we were doing in Alaska to racing. Um, we would kind of fly on the helicopter and inspect our line. Um, and then you'd be standing at the top and not being able to see where you were because it dropped off so quickly. And so you're kind of standing there being like, I hope I can do it. And you know, that flutter of your heart and the adrenaline is just like standing in the ski racing start. And um, there's nothing better for me than like pushing out and that everything goes quiet in that piece of making turns. Yeah. There's something it's, it's a bizarre feeling. I don't get it when I smash gates, but I don't ever smash gates. Well, so my, if I'm in a start gate, I'm like, I shouldn't be here. I don't have like that flutter. I'm like, what am I doing? But there's something to be said about like looking at a line. I don't ride in helicopters, but like, you know, I tour up and I like scout at what I think I'm going to ski. And then you're yeah. standing at the top and you can't see it. And that feeling that you just described is like so relatable for anyone who skis backcountry or maybe not at a resort. We kind of know where we're going at a resort, but it's such, it's such a feeling of like, I think I got this. But I think it's at any sport. They talk about that flow and just kind of testing yourself, pushing the limit and seeing, you know, like, especially when in my racing career, you're like, I've trained for this and can I do it? And um, when you get down to the finish and you do it, it's like such a feeling that, you know, I don't even know what the words are, but anyone who's felt it knows that feeling. Yeah. I think those are the words. It's just that feeling. (laughs) So what will the film, it's a 40 minute film. Will it be, are you entering it into film festivals? Are you doing a full tour with it? Will it be released for free? Do we have a name for it? (laughs) <laughs> it's called Trailblazer Ski Film, um, and we are entering it in uh, film festivals, and then kind of the, we're still working on the rest of the distribution plan. I think because of the length, we don't just want to put it online. It's maybe better for a live audience, so we'll try to do a little tour and um, with the film festivals, see where it goes from there. Is this your first film project? Yes. I'm learning so much about how much work it is to make a film. I was like, oh, we'll just go have fun skiing and film it. And then, you know, building the storyline and making it compelling and all that stuff. So I've been learning a lot about what it takes. Yeah. So what's that process look like for, cause I think again, maybe I'm speaking for my audience, but like, it's hard. Like if you see a two minute Instagram reel, that person spent a week on that. Like in like and it was absorbed instantly and you're like, eh, that was okay. And now a forty minute film, like how much one, how did it start? Like were you just sitting on your couch one day and you were like, I'm gonna make a film about myself? Or like how does this idea come to life? And then what's the process for even like kickstarting this film? 
Uh, well, so I had wanted to tell my story. I thought it was, you know, a cool story to tell. Um, and I started talking to some of my, I guess, donors and sponsors that had supported me through my ski career, and they were suggesting writing a book. But that you know, path didn't really speak to me. And I was like, maybe a movie um, will, you know, we could tell the story. And so I started reaching out to different production companies and, you know, getting a lot of no's or a lot of just ignoring my calls and emails, but typical <laughs> Megan fashion, I perse persevered on and I found KGB production and they, he saw my vision right away. And so we partnered up and um, we spent all last winter shooting the free skiing, the interviews, um, finding archival World Cup footage to use for the film. Um, and like your, to your point, the amount of hours of footage we took for the amount that's in the movie is just insane. Um, but, you know, it's been it's been really cool to try to tell my story and relive it and get interviews from people that were a part of it. Um, Cause there were so many people who supported me along the way. And, and so, yeah, we're making the film. <laughs> we'll see where it goes. So what's your daily now? What is it? <laughs> what does a retired skier do? <laughs> so I'm an accountant at an investment firm in Salt Lake city. <laughs> okay. So Which that, go ahead. I'm learning totally new as well. Um, when I was a ski racer, I went to college every summer and it took me 10 years because I would only take a class or two a summer. Um, but I graduated the year after I retired from ski racing and, and now I'm balancing uh, work and skiing as much as possible, just like everyone else. So you, I mean, you were an accountant before you even knew you were an accountant. Like you were managing <laughs> yourself, you're at your, the athlete, you, your funds, your travel budget, and now you ended up being, did you know you were going to be an accountant? Oh, no, it's kind of ironic because my dad was always, I you know, knew I was going to be in the business world. I was studying finance and my dad just kept saying, you know, accountant's a really good job. You could get a job anywhere, work anywhere, blah, blah. And I'm like, whatever, dad, I don't, <laughs> you know, do what you tell me. And now here I am an accountant. So <laughs> and you're in Salt Lake. Yep. Uh, we live in Park City, actually. Okay. So are you an Alta skier or are you? Did you switch sides? I'm I'm still in Alta skier. Okay. Yeah. When it's a powder day, I'm in Little Cottonwood Canyon for sure. Because that's kind of a like it's a little loop for you to get there now, right? Yep. It takes like probably forty minutes. Okay. I'm just like I'm kind of know where I am when I'm there, but I don't. Yeah, I just end up places. <laughs> Why Alta? I've I've never had a good day at Alta. Oh no. But that's not on like Alta. It's just I've never you know, some days you go places and you don't have a good day. Like it's not the skiing I just think, wasn't good. I mean, learning how to ski there, it has a special place in my heart, but it's also one of the few resorts that's family owned. And so it kind of has a smaller mountain vibe. Um, that really they're just all about the skier. That's you know, the skiing is what they're about. They're not about the resort or the base area. So it might not have like you know, the nicest lodges or plazas, but it's just all about the skiing. Um, and so I love it. They have great skiing. <laughs> I will tell you, maybe this is TMI. Alta has the nicest toilet I've ever used in my entire life. So you did have a good experience. <laughs> <laughs> I like, there's like a really fancy hotel over there. Mm -hmm. And I, 
I show up in a van, so I got to be a dirtbag. And I'm like, I'm fi- I'm like going to this hotel and I'm like drinking coffee and I'm like, I'm going to use a bath. It's the nicest, not that this podcast is about toilets, but like heated toilet seat, oh, wow. full bidet, like for a dirtbag living in his van, that was what I needed in my life at that point. So that, but other, like the skiing was bad that day, but the toilet was five stars. So. But did the snow pine, that's, they redid that. It's brand new. I don't know. I like walked down into like a parking garage and then I went in and then I went up because you got to be sneaky. You got to go like in and then get out. So that was my goal. But I have no idea where I was, but I don't know if anyone cares. Alta has really great bathrooms. And come back on a powder day. They have a good scheme too. (laughs) I'm sure they do. I just didn't, I just haven't hit it. Do you think they should open the snowboarders? No, I think <laughs> the, okay. So Alta stands for another long traverse. Again, you have to traverse everywhere to get to the runs in the mountain, and nothing against snowboarders, but it just wouldn't. It would be tough for snowboarders to get across all those traverses. Yeah, but isn't it that their choice? <laughs> We're getting deeper here. We're getting deeper. <laughs> I guess no comment. I just love the Alta. It's so weird. It just seems like the, like, I don't know. We have Mad River Glen. Like, that's like our skiers only resort on the East Coast. And it's so bizarre to me. Like, I don't care. Whatever. It's just funny that they, like, hold on to it. Yeah. Well, Alta is for skiers. That's their motto. I guess. I just use their parking lot and go tour. You follow that power line up and you drop off. I don't know if you tour over there, but yeah, it's great. I don't know. I got to have a good day at Alta. Now I'm just going to think about Alta because I'm sad that I've never had a good day. Yeah, you got to come back. I'll be there. I usually come out for about six weeks in the spring. So, Okay. I just right. just don't ski. I go to the bird. How would people yeah. not go Are to the bird? What's that? Am I a snowboarder? a snowboarder? No, I'm a skier. I mean, do yeah. both. I do both, but I'm a skier. <laughs> I just, and the bird is great, too. Oh, the bird's so good, so good. But I'll get to I'll get to Alta. Digi Dave will be mad at me because I don't come to Alta ever. So, <laughs> yeah. So let's kind of wrap this up. What's next? I mean, I know we have a film. Are you working on anything else this winter? Are you just being an accountant and a skier and like probably enjoying every second that you can just go skiing for fun. Yeah, I think I've been enjoying skiing so much. I feel like I've re-fallen in love with it in a new way since retiring from racing. Um, And just kind of exploring the, you know, I don't know what you'd call it, ski marketing side of things a little bit and um, the films coming out. And yeah, I don't know. We'll see what where where the future goes. Yeah, I think you should blow up. I think your story is insane. Like I read a little bit about it on the fly. I got like a, you know, I'm on the fly low email list and I like got a little blurt about you. And then I watched the teaser and then I like asked you to be on the show and did some research. Everyone should know your name. Like, (laughs) no, but like it's a story and it's an insane story and it can be like, yeah, we're skiers, but it can be applied to anything. Yeah. And that's, I'm hoping that my 
story of perseverance, you know, kind of transcends the ski world. I love skiing. That's my story. But, you know, anyone who's going through a struggle or overcoming a challenge, um, I hope that they can be empowered by that struggle because I really feel like the lessons I learned as an independent skier um, empowered me to you know, call a bunch of production companies <laughs> until I can make a film um, or, you know, whatever it may be. What advice do you have for a skier right now, either trying to get on the U.S. ski team or trying to make it to the Olympics or who's in the Olympics, maybe their first Olympics? Any advice that, like, you wish you had going into your first Olympics? Um, I think... For me, I was so young, and so I would tell myself in those earlier years to trust myself. You know, if you're talking to someone who's telling you you're not good enough or you can't do it, um, you're just talking to the wrong person. And so um, I would say trust yourself and, and never let go of that belief. I think it's as simple as that. Believe in yourself. <laughs> Easier said than done. but Well, um, I'm sure. It, it rings true. Uh, amazing. Where can people follow you on Instagram? If you have a blog, where do we know? How will we know when this film is coming out? So, yeah. So, um, definitely follow me at, at Megan McJames on Instagram or Facebook or just MeganMcJames.com. And um, we will keep you updated on the details of how to watch Trailblazer Ski Film when we figure it out. <laughs> amazing. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much. This was great. Thank you. It was great to meet you. Yes, you as well. So, episode 41. I think we're at 41. That's insane to me. How did we get to... I've never done anything 41 times. This is a pivotal moment in my career, guys. But anyway, sorry, 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 sorry. Episode 41 of The Pursuit with Megan McJames. Can we talk about how insane that story is? Like... I, I just don't understand how you can be that caliber, caliber of an athlete and not be on the U.S. ski team. Sounds like some shady business going on, and maybe I'll do a full deep dive, serial style, uh, you know, dig dig deep into why why she wasn't why she couldn't sit with us. But good news is Megan's a rock star. She has a video coming out, a full film project, so we'll get more of the story, learn more of the story. Everyone go follow Megan on Instagram. Let's get her followers up. She's got that verified check mark because she is an Olympian. So follow her at Megan McJames, M-E-G-A-N-M-C-J-A-M-E-S, Megan McJames. Follow her, follow at of, follow at out of podcast. Follow Mr. Adam X. Uh, I broke 6,000, so I'm stoked on that. And, uh, oh, guys, I can't believe I get to say this. I'll see you next year. Not done with 21, baby. Love you all. I'll see you tomorrow.